Oh boy, well, uh, hi. <laughs> We're late getting started. I doubt this is actually going to work. Um, uh, the computer that Rich uses to get in, it's Windows, and Windows dies eventually. All Windows computers do. It's just part of the design of it, I guess. Um, so we, I'm sitting here trying to start the program, and it goes to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Rich is looking at uh, software um, on Windows, and I'm looking at software on Mac, and stuff isn't at the same place, and we'll go here. Is it, well, there is no there. <laughs> that's, that's not what it looks like on mine. Uh, so, yeah, that was not how to start the program at all, um, but... Uh, that's that's life, and so we're doing the best we can. We're still on the road, and things happen. And I'm told it's working. So there you go. Um, sorry about that delay, about a five minute delay while we were messing around with stuff to try to do things. And I will probably mess things up as we're going along too. So uh, that's what happens when you you get all discombobulated right from the start. So. Um, before I forget, I mentioned on the last program that this incredible indexing thing that has been going on for, well, since February, I think, because the fellow came up to me at the conference in Tullahoma, where you can now put in a search parameter, phrase, term, something along those lines, and you can search an AI-generated um, database of the dividing line. And I think the debates, too. I'm not sure if the debates are in there right now, but I know the dividing line is. And hopefully, eventually, all my sermons will be, too. Uh, now, obviously, one of the issues is, and I, I saw this... Um, there's a lot of terminology that I use. You know, when I'm reading Greek, I really doubt that it's doing what it needs to do and being able to figure out what the Greek is or things like that. So it's not flawless. Um, but what I wanted to do is show you. Uh, let's look at it here. Um, I wanted to show you where it's at now. So if you go to aomin.org, there is a new entry right here, right in the middle, up in the upper, I don't know which menu bar, I guess, called transcripts. Transcripts. And so you press transcripts, and up this comes. And you'll see... Let's Church over here. That's the website that's doing all this stuff that we're working with. Let's Church Beta. And Search Channel. And so you can pop stuff in there. Let's, let's put in CBGM. And hit Return. And you get Media 9, Transcripts 119. And so here are uh, videos, uh, dividing lines, basically, 
A lot of them have CBGM in the description, stuff like that. Um, ECM of Mark, Mormons hide in basements, Gregory on the Spirit. It's hard to get. I've always hated coming up with titles. I really, <laughs> whenever I'm, whenever I'm out and about, uh, people are like, uh, whatever. Um, and you know, spe speaking of churches, what sermon title do you want? I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> it's just not something I want to do. But then if you click on transcripts, this is really neat. Um, here's 120, and you'll notice what happens here is it says at 5250 in the dividing line, it looks like the dividing line, of January 2nd, 2019. Um, and tomorrow we'll talk about CBGM. CBGM has introduced a conjectural emendation. So... There it gives you an actual uh, portion of the transcript. Uh, Tim Keller on Jesus getting close to you. DTS in Ephesians 5, the book of Abraham at 4432. I'll be really interested in seeing what CBGM, what light CBGM. And then if you, if you want, you can uh, click on something like that. And, uh, well, for example, here's one. Uh, at 4504, 1st John 57, the Kama Yohanium examined. And so I click on the transcript and Problem look what it does. In the past. We don't have time to go into it now today. I have this CBGM. silence at the moment. Uh, coherent space. No, I guess I didn't. CBGM has, you know, doesn't give any place whatsoever to the Kama Yohanium. It can't. There's not enough manuscripts. Okay. So I will need to silence it or we're going to be talking over each other. But but notice what it's what it's doing. It's playing that uh, particular episode, and when you go over here to the transcript, and that is a really incredible feature on YouTube. The problem is um, that that's also how they censor speech. <laughs> so you know, most everything that we're we're facing today. You know, when we first started using Google and just what an incredible assistance it is for driving and and stuff like that, that's the positive side. And if you could trust the people with that data, that wouldn't be a problem, but you can't. So they know everywhere you've ever been, everywhere you've wanted to go, everywhere you've driven. Um, and they're just part of it's, its big brother. And you can't trust Big Brother. Big Brother is your enemy. And so, uh, but here's also an example of where I said, you know, it, nothing's perfect yet. Um, probably never will be. Notice in the transcript, it says, we don't have, to have time to go into today called CBGM, Coherent Space Genealogical Method. CBGM doesn't give any place whatsoever to the, and notice the transcript. Kamionium. It can't. There just aren't enough manuscripts. Well, that's comma Johannium. So that's a Latin phrase, and it does the best it can. But if you were to do a search for comma Johannium, you'd probably end up missing a lot from the transcripts because it's not necessarily going to sync up. Now, if you spell it right, it'll it'll find it in titles of because it's in the title right down here you can see it 
right there. Scroll it up a little bit. Um, it's it's in the it's spelled right in the in the title, so it'll pull that up. But you could miss some other stuff. And so for um, Bible references, most Bible references, this should be able to pull it up. I mean, as long as I used it, as long as I gave the reference. Um, so uh, let me see here. Uh, Romans. I'm just doing this on the run, on the fly here. So I put in Romans 5.1. The media says 2251. That seems, that's probably because 5-1. Maybe you have to, let, let's see Let's see if we put, I've not played with this myself. We're just, people were asking, what are you talking about? Okay, you put, put the quotes around it, and that does limit it somewhat. To 1,179 in media and 102 transcripts. Um, so, yeah, well, that worked. Look at this one. Sola Scriptura continued with interact and with interaction with Carlo Broussard of Catholic Answers, and then you click on the. Uh, let me roll it up so you can see it there. Click on the uh, transcript section. I'm not sure if you can see it. That sort of it's not really grayed out, but it has a different color on my screen. Uh, I'm not sure that's coming through or well, but anyway, let's click on this. And if it does not there accurately represent what Romans 5.1 says, you're going to be better off just reading Romans 5.1 without reading 47 volumes. It'll just confuse you in the process. So that, that pulled up Romans 5.1, and that was from seven years ago. Um, I was nice and skinny back then and in the best shape of my life, um, before my heart went crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can find that kind of stuff. This is, this is something I've dreamed about. <laughs> of course, I dreamed about some poor <laughs> volunteer <laughs> going through and tagging all this stuff. It would have taken, um, uh, three generations <laughs> of some poor volunteer doing this, I guess. But... There it is, and um, I'm sure the scanning type software will uh, only get better over time, I would assume. Could be wrong about that. Uh, but pretty amazing stuff. I mean, you got <laughs> you got to admit, that's, um, wow. It's Look, as I've said before, it's a little scary. I, I mean, all of you who are ministers, preachers, teachers who recognize you're going to be held accountable for what you've said. Ooh, it, it, obviously, God's transcript of everything we have ever said, typed, and everything else, is perfect. And um, so it does make you go... It, it, it really makes you think about responsibility for what you say, and what you type, and... Everything else, um, you know, makes me makes me wonder if if we could get permission from Bethany House and my other publishers to include my books um, in a fully searchable database as well. If you had the books, 
if you had the if you had the blog, so all the articles from the blog, um, you had the sermons, the debates, the dividing lines. About the only thing left would be text messages, I guess. Um, tweets. I bet you. I bet you you could do that with Twitter. I bet you really could because I think there is a download all of your tweets option type thing. And that would pretty much be it. <laughs> be a pretty complete, complete record. <laughs> Ooh, okay. All right. Uh, there it is. That's um, that's sort of scary, but great in a, in a sense. Um, so it's right up there under transcripts uh, at topveomin.org, and. Try it out. Check it out. Uh, I may, during dividing lines, throw out, hey, could someone see, could someone find out when I first used this illustration, when I first used this phrase, that type of thing. I bet you it would work. We already did that because I I think on one of the recent programs I said, you know, I, I don't know how long it is I've been saying it. It's, Solo Scriptura is not you and your Bible under a tree out in the forest someplace. And so somebody threw it in there and, oh yeah, back in 2002, you were saying. So over 20 years. Now the database only goes back to 98. And the dividing line as a uh, radio program started, I'm not sure when we first named it that because we named our newsletter the dividing line first, I think. They were probably contemporaneous. It's probably around the same time. Who knows? Um, but, uh, it, you know, we don't have that stuff. So it's not ex absolutely exhaustive. And to be honest with you, I'm very glad about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I, we do have like the atheism series we did back in the, oh, that would have been late 80s and maybe 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 the early 90s and i stumbled across something I, one of the debates i did and i didn't i was still developing my presuppositional understanding of things and so there were you know when i was still in bible college and i was doing the tom Likas show with atheists on kfyi radio in phoenix I was not a presuppositionalist, and so there'd be all sorts of stuff there where you just go, um, but anyway, uh, there it there it goes. Uh, over here on the right-hand side, I'm watching Rich trying to fix the Windows computer. It's just like, it's Bill Gates, man. It's just Bill Gates. Okay, so transcripts, top of the website. Enjoy. Do it. Uh, see what you can find, and uh, and go from there. Um Gregory Cole is the name of the individual that I will be debating on September 16th in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. He is the author of a book, Gregory Cole's, it's got an S at the end, forgive me. Gregory Cole's, he is the author of the book, Single Gay Christian, A Personal Journey of Faith and Sexual Identity, InterVarsity Press is the publisher of said book. And so 
for those of you who were really excited about the Brownson debate, um, this might be, uh, in fact, uh, half an hour ago, uh, I got an email, or not an email, a message from Chris Arnson. Gregory Cole's assistant sent me the contract, so it's official. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, so, so there you go with that. Um, but um, this will be, um, oh, that's interesting, 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon on September 16th. Now, the... Uh, the location sounds weird, but it's not. It's called SpookyNooksSports.com. But evidently, it is uh, the Republican candidate for governor in the last race. Um, or, or was it Senate? Governor. Well, anyways, one of the Republicans, I think it was uh, for governor, uh, had one of his biggest rallies there. So I guess it's a really, really nice location it's just sort of the name issue, <coughs> excuse me, the name issue is a little bit like when we had a debate at The Grind. Uh, that was the name of the place, The Grind, in uh, in Florida. So sometimes the name is, um, but the location is actually really nice and should work really well. This uh, debate will be hosted by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society and Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. You can register at futureofchristendom.org. We will, we're having a graphic put together uh, to put this up, futureofchristendom.org. And in some ways, some people have mentioned that this is probably providential. Obviously, I want to be able to interact um, with Dr. Brownson's thesis, which has been picked up by many other people. Uh, but... The Revoice, Gay Christian, uh, yes, it's appropriate to identify a Christian in this fashion movement. Um, I'm not, I, I didn't look at the dates, but this conference is going to be taking place pretty much contemporaneously at uh, Andy Stanley's church with uh, David Gushy and stuff like that. That's where we are right now. That's where we are right now. I've already interacted with the primary element of Brownson stuff on the Divine Line. In fact, you could put Brownson in the transcript search bar, and you'll pull it up because I played. I was playing. I know that I stopped somewhere, but I was playing Brownson's presentation at one of Matthew Vine's events and responding to it because I remember a lot of the details. He was talking about certain Greek philosophical perspectives that allegedly is behind Romans 1, and I, I went into a rebuttal of that. And now all you got to do is throw that at, at the transcript search bar, and you should be able to pull it up yourself and uh, access that information. And um, uh, there you go. Uh, so the Gregory Coles debate may actually be more relevant um, to, to that particular um, that particular thing. So uh, September 16th, coming up less than two months. Um, I already have his book. I may have read it, um, but it's not ringing specific bells. So obviously I will reread it if I haven't read it before. 
and um, hopefully you all will find that to be a very useful debate. And then uh, the other debates that I mentioned coming up in uh, February, inclusive of... Now, just, just pray for this. Uh, okay, we have so many critics and opponents that listen. That So I'm just speaking to those of you who support the ministry, care about the ministries, uh, that type of thing. It is going to be hard for me to figure out how to get uh, Trent Horn, Dale Tuggy, uh, Leighton Flowers, myself, to Houston at the right times, along with traveling to um, Conway, Arkansas, to teach a class and a subject that I have not taught before, which means between now and then I've got that to be working on as well, um, and to Tullahoma, Tennessee, for the Calvinism Conference, where Tom Bucks could be speaking, I'm going to be a bunch of a bunch of guys are going to be speaking, and I'm supposed to do a debate um, with our landmark Baptist friend from last February, who hopefully will not be speaking quite as fast. Um, and I've somehow got to do this all in February to early March at at the best. And it's one thing if you were hopping back and forth in a plane, but that's not how I travel. So the complexities are many. Uh, so for those of you who want to see this kind of thing happening, and you're going, yeah, that we Trent Horn topics, uh, Sol Scriptura, we're going to be talking about Theonustos and Trent. Um, I'll have TLG up. I'll be ready to deal with Poirier's arguments from semantic domains. And you're the one that presented the, the argumentation. So you've got to be able to defend it. You've called it the death knell of solo scriptura. Hey, if you want to dump it and say, I'm not going to do that, okay, fine. Um, but you're going to have to be prepared for it. And the other topic's purgatory. And a lot of folks are like, ah, the, 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 the purgatory, da, da, da. Uh, Y'all ever watched the, the, the debate I did with Peter Stravinskis on Purgatory? That was a clearer delineation of the biblical doctrine of justification from the Roman Catholic understanding than any other debate I've seen. 2001. Ah, 22 years ago. <laughs> um, I hadn't even started shaving my head. I started later that year, I think. Um, but... Um, Vital important to be able to debate that topic. And again, the issue is, very clearly, the apostles had no concept of such a thing. It is utterly absent from anything that we can say comes from the apostles of Jesus Christ. And therefore, if it is dogma of Rome, this demonstrates Rome teaches for dogma that which the apostles never dreamed of. So you have to come up with some idea of new revelation if you're going to come up with that. Oh, I know the development. Know it very, very well. Over centuries, but it took a long time, at least a thousand years, to reach the final form that it has, um, say, in the 15th century. Council of Florence, places like that. So 
Um, those were vitally important. The Dale Tuggy debate, obviously, is Jesus Yahweh. And by the way, I am wide open. I, I, I hope you all realize how much work I, I am gladly saying I will take on over the next few months. Uh, but I will gladly do a double header with Dale Tuggy. And I will debate Dale Tuggy's thesis on John 1. Because he has, he has material in his books. His books are sitting right there. Uh, he's done entire presentations at Unitarian conferences on John 1.1. 1, 1, and it's real, it's real basic. It's real simple. He's always citing somebody else. And that makes him utterly incapable of mounting a text-based defense for the comments he makes about the text. And so I would love to have that happen as well. I think that would be extremely useful. Um, uh, Leighton Flowers, John 6. This was a topic that was actually raised to him by Evan McClanahan, the pastor there at, uh, in Houston. I, th I think over a year ago. I think it was at the Stratton debate, I think. Anyway, I, I don't want to speak out of turn there, but I think it was. And so, um, should be very useful. Uh, I mean, obviously, vitally important text. So, lots and lots of stuff. I mean, lots and lots of stuff coming up. That is, um, yeah, that's, hey, that's why we do what we're doing. And so, I want to let you know about what's coming up. But the one that you can be getting written to registering for and stuff like that right now is with Gregory Coles. I'm, I could be wrong. Maybe the Tullahoma conference is already registerable. I'm, I haven't looked. I'm not sure. Uh, it's possible. Uh, look up Jeffrey Rice, Postanibus Lux on Facebook and there might be something there already. I don't know. Uh, probably is, but let you know that that's something you can do. But the Gregory Coles debate um, in on September 16th, um, that is already available for uh, sign-up and for registration. So there you go. Exciting stuff. All right. So one of the professors, who I've known for a long, long time, we don't, we don't stay a lot in contact right now, um, but... Uh, fellow that I knew back when he was doing his doctoral studies long, long ago overseas because he was a regular part of our chat channel. Back, We had a chat channel from 1996 to, I think it was, was that 2016? Uh, around there. Um, and, or maybe it's 2019, I don't remember. Uh, 2019 sounds more like, I think it's about like 23 years. 2017-ish, uh, Rich says, okay. Uh, he was sort of a, our, our overnight guy. He'd keep an eye on the channel overnight because he li lived, he was doing his PhD work, I recall, in Edinburgh. So there was a time shift which would allow him to, to do that. But he teaches at RTS in Charlotte and posted a screenshot 
that he has been blocked on Twitter by Credo Magazine. And the, the number of people who have that particular screenshot is very large today. <laughs> it really seems that to be a Thomist is to be very sensitive. Just, I need a safe space. <laughs> I, I don't think the Dominicans provided any safe spaces in Thomas's day. So things have changed along those lines. But <laughs> it's just like, and, and I tweeted uh, publicly, I said, well, you know, you, you have said some nice things about me in the past. And um, he says, yeah, but I thought that was off the record. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's about the only way you should ever say anything nice about me is off the record these days because uh, there's a lot of folks that will make you pay for that. But what I'm seeing and, and what a lot of people are seeing is now we have one of the well-known uh, Thomistic aficionados saying that we need a new and improved edition of Calvin's Institutes. And why is that? Well, one of the... Now, what's funny is, and this is Matthew Barrett, by the way. He says, we need a new and improved edition of Calvin's Institutes. McNeil inserts over 40 scriptures into the opening chapters, which masks Calvin's natural theology and gives the impression he's at odds with Aquinas. Oh, really? Huh. How interesting. Because, you know, I, I sort of thought that everybody knew that those were editorial insertions, that they weren't Calvin. That these are editions that have editorial notes that give cross-references, allusions, references to cited sources that necessarily weren't a part of Calvin's original work. And so isn't it amazing um, that you could insert Bible references to what Calvin's referring to? And it's like, no, we don't want those. That makes it sound like he's opposed to Thomas, and we don't want anyone being opposed to Thomas. The patron saint of us all now. We've lost our minds about him, so we want Calvin to have lost his mind. There's only one problem with that. And that is, as everybody knows, there are exactly two references, two sections, where Calvin specifically refers to Aquinas. Now, he hundreds and hundreds of places to Augustine and uh, to other uh, writers that he appreciates, John Chrysostom and things like that. Um, so he certainly knows of Aquinas, but he the the one the one reference is just a neutral reference, just a you know talks about this at such and such place, and then the other is a negative one, arguing with. Thomas's understanding of grace in predestination and merit and the relationship and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And of course, today, <laughs> um, you've, you've never spoken to a Thomist unless they have told you you just haven't read enough of Aquinas' works because that is all you ever hear. It's just, 
If you just read more of him, like the rest of us, you'd get the glazed look, you'd become easily offended, brittle, <laughs> need safe spaces, stuff like that. Um, it's very obvious that... Um, <laughs> don't worry about the sounds that may, Rich is making in the background. It's okay. Um, it's very, very obvious um, that... Calvin could have used more of Aquinas, but he did not have any desire to do so. That he found Aquinas to be a really um, not useful source. Now remember, he initially wrote the Institutes as a defense of the faith to the King of France, who was persecuting Protestant believers. And so it was, it was always his intention that this work be a, an overall summary of the faith and a, and a defense of that faith. And he did not find Thomas Aquinas to be a useful person in that task. And I wouldn't either. And I think more and more people, now that it's being shoved in our faces and books are being put out and major publishers are being used to put this stuff out there and and you've got all this stuff going on i think more and more people are realizing the same thing i was talking with a, a well-known christian scholar who's written books on thomas but who is not a big thomas fan and i said you know i heard you once say um that reading thomas aquinas dries your soul and he said I said that. I don't remember saying that, but that's a fairly accurate summary. And that's exactly how I feel. Um, I realize that I have Christian brothers and maybe even Christian sisters who read Aquinas and are thrilled or at least benefited in some fashion. Um, I am not by any stretch of the imagination. When you compare the um, enjoyment that I received from reading Calvin over against reading the same amount of Thomas, I mean, if I read three pages of Calvin, I want more. If I read three pages of Thomas, I'm ready to go to sleep. And I'm not the only one that comes to that conclusion. I'm really not. And it's not just the style. Because I can read Edwards, if I can find a large, large enough print edition these days. Uh, but I can read Edwards, and Edwards is not as flowing and communicative a writer as Calvin was. In fact, the amazing thing is how good Calvin is, even in translation. You're not reading the Latin or the French, because, as you may know, he kept writing both versions. He had a French edition of the Institutes and a Latin edition of the Institutes and would do revisions of each one. Um, and so it's amazing at how well Calvin flows, even in translation. Most people just can't write that well. I've, you know, you've heard me say it, and you can prove it now. <laughs> um, in fact... Someone should throw out um, the inks still wet 
You should just throw that at the uh, at the search engine, the transcript search engine from Let's Church, um, and see what that pulls up. How many times I've mentioned that uh, on the dividing line since 1998? But I have said repeatedly that, in my opinion, when you read the Institutes, the ink smudges. So it might be the ink smudges or the ink still wet terminology like that. Uh, and what I'm meaning by that. And I don't know that I got it from somebody else. I might have. But what I mean by that is uh, it's so relevant today. And I've normally said along with it, my writing is never going to be like that. No. Uh, There was just something special about so much, especially the beginning of the Institute, that just remains relevant for such a long period of time. I guess there are some people who feel the same way about Thomas. I do not. I don't, by any stretch of the imagination. And um, so the the meme now, uh, the idea that's being presented now, is that Calvin and Luther, they were just, they were just ignorant of Thomas. They hadn't done enough reading in Thomas. And so... We need new additions to um, unmask Calvin's natural theology uh, and to, to demonstrate that he's not at odds with Aquinas. Which is why he only quotes him twice and once negatively in the entirety of the Institutes, because he loved him so much. <laughs> no, he didn't. And everybody knows it. Um, and there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. Calvin could recognize what we ought to recognize, and that is the fundamental different source, ultimate foundational source of divine truth between Calvin and Aquinas. And uh, so watch out for future new editions of Calvin that try to turn him into a fan of Thomas Aquinas when the reality is he was not uh, okay, uh, I have a few more, I have a few screenshots. Uh, I think I'll just pull, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull signal over here so I can see anything that Rich has to say. Um, and, oh, well, you know what? Real quickly, I did not see a response from Brother Camp uh, to my discussion on the last dividing line. Uh, about his statements that all theonomic postmillennialists mistranslate Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We demonstrated that that is a misuse of the term translation. And it is an issue of an of understanding of what it means to disciple the nations. And that I actually agreed uh, that given the participial phrases that are modifying the verb that's baptizing and teaching, that this is individual, but if you have 90% of a nation, and, and I, I just really, I remember where I was when, when I honestly said, 
you know, I'm a Calvinist. But do I really believe that God could do that? That God could bring about that kind of a change? Because much of the rejection of it is, well, that's, that's, that could never happen. It's just, just look at what's happened in church history. Well, yeah, if, if you're... If you're thinking we're right at the end, we're 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 at the we're not near the church anymore or middle or anything else. Um, okay, then you can use that as an argument, I suppose. But man, as a Calvinist, you really can't just sit there and say God can't do that. God cannot uh, draw a majority of the people of a nation to Christ. And I realized you're being really inconsistent as a Calvinist. <laughs> You've, your entire ministry is based on, let's go talk to the Mormons. Oh, they're too hard to talk to. I, back at North Phoenix Baptist Church, why do you all bother the Mormons? I mean, come on, there's plenty of lost people. Don't worry about them. You know, okay, well, so I've always believed God has his elect everywhere. So how can I argue that God doesn't have... A large number of elect that maybe he's like the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky or something like that. I read that somewhere in the Bible. Anyhow, um, so there was a uh, a tweet. We'll take a quick look at it here. Oh, look at that. Um, Steve says, there's not one passage of scripture, Ben. I guess he's talking to someone named Ben. Um, that speaks of the atonement or the outwork of the atonement is to Christianize nations. Not one. Uh, okay. The atonement is personal. Election is personal. But election is not disconnected from God's entire purposes. So uh, I've said again, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep saying I've said for decades because now people can check it all out for themselves. But I've said over and over again that a uh, discerning, believing, healthy church is a blessing on a nation. And I stand by that. And I don't know how anybody could dispute that. So the, the, if, if that's true then the individual salvation of the people that make up the church is a part of God's dealing with a nation as a whole. So in other words, if God wants to withdraw his blessing from a nation, then that's going to impact the size and activity of the church itself. So I've always had that in the background, and so you have to be able, to, if you're going to say that negatively, being a good Scotsman, then you have to also say positively, if it is God's intention to bring about blessing to a people, aren't we the ones always praying for revival? Well, what does what's revival? Revival is not just one person getting saved, it's a whole bunch of people getting saved, and walking in the light of that new life in Christ, huh? And that's going to impact a nation, big time. How do we understand the passages that the, the, the nations, the, the coastlands, will, will seek after his Torah, after his law? How does that happen? Does the natural man do that? No, no. Natural man runs from the, from the law. So 
if you have nations streaming to Jerusalem and streaming to Mount Zion, what is that about? Well, that's in the millennium someday, and uh, right before uh, Armageddon or something. I, okay, that's how you want to deal with it. But what if it's actually God saying, I'm going to do a massive work in this world? That's different. So, um, I agree that uh, that speaks to the atonement, the outworking atonement, is to Christianize nations. But what I would say is that there are universal, all of creation impacts related to the atonement. Um, so it's it's not just the individual, you know, all the atonement is about is me and Jesus. No, there's there's much bigger things. The 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 atonement. The Father, Son, and Spirit are glorified in the atoning work of Christ. It is absolutely central. How many times have we talked about this? Trinitarian harmony, the gospel, and the Trinitarian harmony in the atonement. The decree of the Father, the accomplishment of the Son, the application of the Spirit. So, again, if it would be God's intention to pour out His Spirit, and to draw his elect, and a and it becomes a majority of a nation. Well, wouldn't the atonement be central to that? Well, of course it would. So he says, in other words, the Lord came to redeem Americans, not America. Okay, I agree. I agree. And if it is God's sovereign purpose to only redeem a certain number of Americans and then wipe America out. He's just to do that because he's done that down through history, down through church history. Look at all the places you can go visit where the Roman Empire was once everything, and now it's not there. Um, yeah, so that's true. But what if it's his intention to all of a sudden save a majority of Americans? What will that do to America? Nobody wants to talk about that because in reality, it's like, that's not going to happen. It's not gonna, nope, not possible. Not possible. God couldn't do it. He says, the post slash mill slash theonomy lacks clear biblical foundations at this very point, and it's important. Again, we haven't found old Steve to be overly accurate in his understanding of how these things are related to one another. I'm not even sure how theonomy relates at this point. I mean, if you... If you have 80% of the people living in a land upon whom, whose heart God has written his law, Jeremiah 31, New Covenant, um, then what are they going to want? Uh, are they only going to want um, Christ's law in their lives, but not in their societies, even though 80% of the people in their society has the same desire? That doesn't make any sense. Again, all coming back to yeah, but that'll never happen. <laughs> God can't do that. Oh, okay. Um, I suppose there are lots of times back in church history, you could look at how many millions and millions of Christians there are today uh, around the world and go, ah, that would never happen. Well, it has. Praise be to God. Um, so, lacks clear biblical foundation at this very point. 
well, again, what does it mean for ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance? What does that mean? And I hope you recognize I'm sitting here as a person who consistently over and over again says the only way for this to happen is the outpouring of the Spirit of God. This isn't sacralism. This isn't this isn't forced submission. Uh, this isn't uh, what the the Holy Roman Empire was about and all that kind of stuff at all. Uh, I'm not talking about the Stephen Wolf's type of Christian nationalism either. At all. So you got to identify who you're talking about. But these massive claims being made by the PMT crowd, I guess that's post-mill theonomy, have zero evidence, now listen to this, in all of human history. No nation has ever Christianized, ever. Not the point of the gospel, nor the Great Commission, nor of the two great commandments. And there you go. Um, there you have the same kind of, well, God hasn't done it in the past, so there can't be any great blessing coming in the future. And that's the same attitude that the Jews had about the Messiah. That's not how God's done it in the past. That's not how we thought the Messiah would be. Well, the Messiah ended up being a lot bigger than you thought, huh? So, I just find this kind of argumentation um, really, really bad. Really, 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 really bad. But it does allow us, whoops, sorry about that. It does allow us to um, interact a little bit. Um, we have a, uh, I have to look at the, how long we've been on the air. There is, there is a quick, I'll just read this to you, and then we're going to do a little quick something out of Romans, uh, uh, Revelation 5. I've got some, uh, some Anthony Burnaby, or Burnaby, depending on how he pronounces it. Uh, tweets here. Uh, basic syllogism for Trinitarians. Uh, point one, a P1, Jesus is Yahweh. P2, Yahweh is the Father. Conclusion, Jesus is the Father. You can only argue a premise is incorrect. This is logically valid deductive syllogism, a valid deductive argument, which is, again, is why uh, amateur philosophers or professional ones who try to pretend that their little teeny syllogistic arguments are big enough to deal with all of divine revelation are fools. And will be told that on the day of judgment. Um, so obviously there's, there is the obvious category errors. Jesus is Yahweh, but Jesus is not exhaustive of Yahweh because Jesus is the divine person. Yahweh is the name of the divine being that is shared by Father, Son, and Spirit. Because the Father's identify as Yahweh, the Son's identify as Yahweh, and the Spirit's identify as Yahweh. So, if you want to you go, the conclusion is Jesus is the Father. But Jesus isn't the Father. Well, it has, has to be. No, you just don't believe the Bible. And you will not allow the Bible to determine the categories in which you are going to argue and think. That's all there is to it. Why do we believe one being, three persons? Because the Bible tells us to. The Bible distinguishes between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and the Bible identifies each one as divine. So, this is where syllogisms are too little. They're for, they're for the little minds and not for those that are enlightened by Scripture. That's all there is to it. And then we have one that said, uh, Trinitarians like James White 
are the same people that would have burned us Unitarians alive or crucified us or tortured us the past 2,000 years, right? This is July 16th. I didn't see this one. It just popped up. And burned is in caps and crucified is in caps and tortured is in caps. And I just, I, I can't forget the, the Saban debate in 1999 where once they get challenged, that's all they can do. These Trinitarians want to kill us all. Just, just get the emotions going, and let's not, let's not notice that every single time I've quoted this guy, I've gone to text of scripture and destroyed his errors, and he has no responses. So this is the best you can do: burn, crucify, torture. Just again, I, I need to find, I need to, I need to get a second straw man. I, uh, eBay, eBay must have. A straw man that I can order, and I will, I'll give him a home. Um, well, you know what? Uh, here, uh, so so here, see what I did over here. This is again, this was the old bedroom, and this is a lot of the RVs have you know this. There's one over here too. You can't see it, but you know it, there's stuff stuck in there. There's tools and stuff that we use for the program and stuff like that. I will. Uh, Find a, a home. In fact, I wonder. I bet you I could sit them right there. <laughs> what do you think? And I, I can tape them to the wall. Use Velcro. <laughs> and so, well, let's go to camera two. And there's the straw man. <laughs> this, this little switcher is so cool. I bet you I could find a, a special effects button and have some. <laughs> when I open that up, little flames, flames in there go. Don't put it past us. Don't put it past us. We are, we are working on it. We're, <laughs> nothing you can't do with a with a computer, right? Uh, <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> so, um, there was one other here. Let me just read it real quick, and then we'll go to Revelation five. And Rich is doing the hey, we have two hours on Twitter. Don't waste it. But I've got to get to dinner uh, tonight. Um, yeah, the, the switcher has a big brother, more features. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, any any excuse you can come up with, huh? Um, the learning curve has been enough, uh, but yeah, that that would be sort of fun. Anyway, I actually read this one before, um, but I didn't really dive into it. He goes, "My God is too big to have become a man." get hung on a piece of wood, and killed by his creation. I read this one briefly. And I said at the time, I can't tell you how many Muslims I've had that have said the exact same thing. Oh, that's a genetic fallacy. No, I'm just simply saying, uh, I believe it was um, Sir Anthony Buzzard that wrote a book, someone wrote a book, uh, titled uh, Trinitarianism, The Christian Church's Self-Inflicted Wound. And I know I've seen Dale Tuggy specifically stating that the Trinity is the, the, the biggest thing that keeps us from being able to make any headway in evangelizing the Muslims. And of course, my statement is evangelizing them to what? What is it that you are going to try to lead them to. You You unfortunately have a tremendous amount of agreement 
with Islam at this point. Now, the reason they reject this is because the author of the Quran was ignorant of what's in the New Testament. You don't even you don't you Unitarians don't even have the excuse that the Muslims have at that point. But my God is too big to have become a man, get hung on a piece of wood and killed by his creation. That is the foolishness of the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The preaching of the cross is them, but they're perishing foolishness. Unitarians are perishing. And there's their words. Now he goes on to say, you guys are demonic. The Bible says God cannot die, but keep being delusional, I guess, is what he says. Well, of course, I don't know what you think die means, as in cease to exist. But God is not a man. But God can take on a human nature. And so it's the incarnation. That's the, the Muslims. Again, the best debate I ever have with the Muslim. Abdullah Kunda, 2011, New South Wales, Australia. Gonna miss doing those down there, but um, that's the way it is. Uh, can God become man? That it was on the incarnation. Very same issues. Very same issues. The Unitarians just have much less excuse than the um, than the Muslims ever have uh, in that in that issue. Okay, so let me get accordance up here, and let's just do a couple biblical things before we sign off on the program today and hopefully I do that right and hit the right buttons and have the right things playing and the right screens up and kind of stuff. We have made reference to Roman of Romans, Revelation chapter five a number of times. When I was looking at Revelation chapter six, remember we were looking at the Jude passage. Revelation four and five was the context of the opening of these seals, and now you know, the wrath of the Lamb. He who sits upon the throne, wrath of the Lamb. Um, central aspect to what John is revealing to us in the text. And the beauty, this, this is one of those places where, again, when, when people ask me, um, after 40 years, of teaching and defending the scriptures. Um, what keeps you believing? Well, theologically, the Spirit of God. Um, the faith that one has is something that is uh, part of you by the work of the Spirit of God. But what has God used as part of what would keep you a believing man? And obviously it's a love for his word and it is the beauty of the consistency of the word not on a surface level but on a deep thematic level. And the illustration I've used don't know when I started, but I'm sure I'll find out soon. Um, the illustration I've used is of a tapestry. And the, the weaving of colored threads through a tapestry 
to create a beautiful graphic, a beautiful scene, a beautiful image. And you have threads and themes in Genesis that are found just briefly in some of the historical books, and then they come out in poetry, in the Psalter, and then they're woven through the prophets, and then you find them coming to fulfillment in Christ's life in the Gospels, and then they become a part of the Gospel message and the application and the epistles, and then, and then they're brought to fruition in Revelation. It is impossible for man to have done these things. It's supernatural. And so, when you look at Revelation 4 and 5, you've had the risen Lord speaking sovereignly to his churches. And then everything changes. And you have the heavenly vision. And you are plainly supposed to see Revelation chapter 4 as the continuation of, of Isaiah chapter 6, the worship of Yahweh in heaven. But then you have to deal with the historical reality of the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and his enthronement in heaven. And so Revelation chapter 4 isn't enough. Revelation chapter 5 has to be there. Because now you, you have the purposes of God are going to be revealed in this book. But who's worthy to open these things? Well, it's the Lamb. Tribe of Judah. Who has overcome. And there's the Lamb standing as if slain. And so... John cries and the elder says, Stop crying. There we go. Um, I was crying greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the midst of the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And hopefully, you know, again, hopefully we don't have to have too much of a discussion of uh, apocalyptic language and things like that, but these are Trinitarian. When you're talking about the seven spirits of God, that just simply means the, full, the fullness of the spirit of God possessed by this one who told us in John 14 through 16, once I go to the Father, the Father and I will send the spirit to you. Um, so, uh, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Spirit of God taking, making application of what the Lamb has accomplished in all the earth. It's a fulfillment of the gospel. It is in all the earth. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, but it's there. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. Can you imagine any of the elders or any of the creatures Approaching he who sits upon the throne in this way? This is a divine person. This is, oh, approaches the one on the throne. Oh, Daniel 7. 
presented before the Ancient of Days. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now again, we could preach a whole sermon here and I'm out of time. But these are the greatest creatures God has ever made. And they bow down before the Lamb. And they have a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. To whom do the prayers go? They don't go to saints. They are the prayers of the saints. And who are the prayers of the saints directed to? God. God. So here's the prayers of the saints, and they're bowing down before the Lamb, standing as a slain. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, here is the accomplishment and power of the Lamb because of the atonement. And there is an exact application to the nations because, because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And our mindset, and it was my mindset for a long time, is always just so much, teeny tiny part, just a little bit. But it's from everybody, but just a little bit. And so, and then it's like, and that means it can't ever change. It's always just got to be, you know, we always lose down here. But you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Sounds like some really good stuff coming. Yeah, after the after the tribulation and after the okay. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So here's they're they're going to verse 13 is going to say every created thing. Here's all of heaven. All of heaven, all of the greatest creatures of God. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. Same stuff that is used in the worship of God. Same stuff. And I again think of Daniel 7. He's given a kingdom, dominion, so that his servants will what? Latruo him, highest form of worship. Highest form of worship. In the temple. Here it is. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, with the exception of the Lamb. <laughs> that's, that's what it says. Every created thing I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is worship of two divine persons. This is not a violation of monotheism. 
because of the doctrine of the Trinity. If you are a Unitarian, it is a violation of monotheism. Because you have to sit there, and I know what you're doing in your mind, you're automatically making the worship of the Lamb lesser as a representative. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. These, if that's not divine worship, there's no such thing. And the four living creatures kept saying over and over, Amen, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And before you go, yeah, well, they fell down and they... It's just prostuneo. Prostuneo before the throne of God is absolute religious worship. It is only due to God. When John in chapter 19 bows down and gives prostuneo the angel, he says, don't do that. Prostuneo only God. But the lamb receives prostuneo in the context of religious worship. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. It's right there. What did the author intend to communicate by this? It's clear. And it's beautiful. And that worship, I'm going to tell you something. No matter what your eschatology is, whoop, keep doing that. No matter what your eschatology is, the fact that that worship is taking place in heaven right now is so important. It's so important. And for me, as I see things that it looks to me like things are just spinning out of control down here. The ungodly are ruling the roost. But I know that the Lamb is being worshipped in heaven. And what Revelation tells me is God is very concerned about what happens on earth. Because that is the realm in which Father, Son, and Spirit will be glorified. So God's not done. And so I can sleep. My mind has to find that solace in divine truth. And again, I just don't know what people of the world do that have nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I'm not even going to bother to try to turn it off. <laughs> AC finally kicked on. I had forgotten to turn it off before the program started. And we're wrapping up anyways, so what does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. So, I appreciate your putting up with our flubs and boops and bounces and I'm looking over here and I see all sorts of error messages and it looks like it's trying to download something and not looking good because I'm going to tell you something unless Rich can fix that Windows machine remotely I ain't touching it <laughs> because nope 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 I, I am not that that was that was long long ago uh, for me, and uh, we're not we're not going there. So uh, anyway, let's get this thing over with, shall we? Uh, thanks for watching the program today. Um, we will be back 
next week while I'm on the road on the way home. So we will see you then. God bless.